This is Charlotte Donlin, and you're listening to Hope for the Lonely. Learn more about my first book, The Great Belonging, and my other writing and work at charlottedonlin.com. Hi, Michelle. It's good to have you on Hope for the Lonely. Thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, okay, today we're going to talk about loneliness and ministry. And because of that, I would love to hear um, a bit about your work in ministry and maybe what a typical week looks like for you, if there is a typical week. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's such a good point. Um, yeah, so my husband and I, we are church planters in Austin, Texas, and our church is called Hope Community Church. And there's a number of reasons why we chose East Austin. First, and, and probably primarily is because this is home for Aaron. This is where he grew up. Um, but also our cultural backgrounds played a big role. So Aaron is second generation Mexican American. I am second gen Indian American. And we, we have always had a heart for planting a multicultural church, uh, and specifically a church where we could build it from the ground up in terms of, uh, not having one cultural center, not having, um, one sort of tradition or, uh, race or ethnicity dominating the, the church culture. And on top of that, we, we moved to East Austin. My, my husband, he grew up in, uh, an area close by section eight housing, single mom. Um, and, and East Austin is primarily where the minorities of our city live. And it's, it's, it's sad, but Austin really is a tale of two cities. It's literally divided right down the middle by a highway. And West Austin is wealthy white and East Austin is black and brown and primarily poor. And so uh, the, the, the communities that we serve are largely disadvantaged, low income communities uh, on the east side and largely immigrant demographic as well. Um, in terms of a typical week, though, and what we do, I'll, I'll first say that Aaron and I, we have different roles, but we, and it's also because we have different skills and different passions, if you will. So, of course, Aaron is the lead pastor and the preaching pastor of our church. And beyond sermon writing, a lot of his week is spent uh, shepherding, discipling, teaching, training, uh, both both other elders and staff, but also just lay people. And for for me, I, on the other hand, feel like I have a very unique skill set. And I, I do occasional mentoring and discipling, particularly when women reach out to me and, and, and ask uh, for that. But what I feel like I'm really good at is community outreach and community mobilization around specific needs. Things like activism and awareness. Um, I spend a good deal of time talking with local organizations that serve refugees and immigrants and talking about how our church can partner with them. And uh, yeah, so on any given week, somebody is reaching out to us, reaching out to me and saying, hey, we need help with this person or with this family. Um, just a few weeks ago, a woman reached out to us and she's undocumented. She's just like 24, super young and has three kids, had no money, no food, no clothing, like nothing. And so um, I immediately started reaching out to people, shared some of the information on social media, asking for help. And I was so uh, just blown away by the love and support that came in right away. People were donating mattresses and HEB gift cards. And in, in less than 24 hours, we raised over $7,000 to help with this uh, woman. And so we were able to take care of basically all of her um you know, basic necessities. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a typical week <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I have so much I want to know about what you just said. 
<laughs> and I think as we continue to talk, some of those things will unfold. Um, but first, before I get into loneliness and belonging, I was going to ask at the, you know, toward the end of our conversation um, about the book you're writing. Mm. But I think if I ask about that now, it might help listeners um, have even more of an understanding of um, where you're coming from and the things that you're interested in and passionate about. So can you tell us a little yeah. bit about your book? Yeah. So I'm writing a book with Zondervan and the the big topic is cross-cultural relationships. And my, my foundation for this book is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, where the apostle Paul says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the Gentile, I became like a Gentile. I became all things to all people so that I could win some for the sake of the gospel. And so the basic idea, the, the basic question that I'm asking in my book is, what does it mean to be all things to all people? And I can't help but think that if Paul was writing this for us today, knowing the demographics of our, of our country and our cities, he'd say things like, to the Latino, I became like a Latino. Or to the African-American, I became like an African-American. Like, what does that even, what would that even look like? And so um, the, the, the major ideas that I'm, I'm mapping out in my book is understanding that we are cultural beings, that we can't divorce or separate who we are as people and our identities from the way we culturally express ourselves, whether it's just our family or the way we think to the way we live out our faith. And so starting with developing our own cultural identities, understanding that God created us as cultural beings, and then the rest of the book maps out how to learn how to step outside your culture to appreciate uh, and accommodate to other people's cultures. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Um, I look forward to reading it. And I will say um, just my interactions with you on social media and like in the writing group that we're members of and elsewhere. Um, I really appreciate your um, graciousness, I guess is probably the best word for it um, in these conversations that you're having online with people. Um, it's very refreshing and it helps me <laughs> um, to try to be more gracious. So and I really look forward to reading your book. When will, do you have a publication date? Yeah. So it's a long process. I don't submit the manuscript to my editor till June 1st and okay. it'll be coming out probably March of 2021. And part of the reason for that longer process is that it's being marketed for both Zondervan reflective, but also Zondervan academic. And so from June till the next year, we're going to also be creating an online course to come, to go along with this book with, with videos for each chapter and whatnot, so that it can also be taught at local uh, Christian colleges and seminaries. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah. A lot of steps in the making. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, okay. So now let's shift to loneliness. Yeah. Um, I like to hear how my guests um, define loneliness and belonging. So um, what's your mm -hmm. definition of loneliness? Yeah, I think there's obviously all kinds of loneliness. There's there's physical loneliness where you're removed from people. But I think the type of loneliness that I experience most is relational loneliness because when it comes to ministry, I'm around people all the time, but uh, discipling and mentoring doesn't necessarily equate to friendship. And so even though I'm constantly asking other people, how are you doing or what do you need or how can we help? Um, it, it's, it's not as often that people ask me that in, in, in return. And so for me, the loneliness of, of ministry is, is just not having many friends. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that has its own challenges, right? Uh, yeah, yeah but that's, 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 I, that's how I define that. Okay. 
Um, how do you define belonging? Yeah, I, I really, I really honestly, Charlotte, I wrestled with this and I wasn't quite sure even how to, how to define it because I, I don't know if I've ever really belonged anywhere, if, if that makes sense. So it's hard to know even what belonging would look like, right? Like does, does belonging mean that you just fit in somewhere? Possibly, but if you've, if you've had experiences like I have, you know, as a minority, as, as an Indian American woman, um, where I've, where I've never really felt like I fit in anywhere. You, you start to even wonder if belonging, if the possibility of belonging even exists, or if it is just some sort of like construct. Um, so I think for me, the idea of, of, of count, if, if, if belonging and loneliness are supposed to counter each other, um, I think for me that that hasn't really, really worked. And instead of trying to keep trying to fit in or find a sense of belonging um, within relational dynamics, I've, 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 I've learned acceptance instead. <laughs> um, so for me, I, I thank God for the few friends that I do have. I thank God for my family, for my husband. Um, but I've, I've, I've also just learned along the way to be proud of who God's made me, to to love the, the passions and skills that he's equipped me with to do the ministry that I do. And if that means not always um, feeling like I belong, then that's okay too. <laughs> and, yeah. and perhaps part of this is why some of my favorite stories in the Bible are are the, the, the lives of Old Testament prophets, you know, guys like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, because they were called to be truth tellers. And the cost really of that life was loneliness. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that just, I, I don't want that to come across as sounding very pessimistic, but I, I, just more realistic that sometimes ministry and, and truth telling and loneliness, they just come hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, I imagine a lot of people will relate to that and um, definitely understand the type of loneliness that you're describing and that um, that sense that belonging isn't something that you might ever really have in ways <laughs> that you would want to with other yeah. people. Um, so one one way I look at belonging is that there are three types of belonging, belonging to ourselves, belonging mm. to other people and belonging to God. And um, it sounds like, I mean, just from what you just said, that you're lacking in the belonging to other people um, sphere, mm. <laughs> um, but that you do have a pretty strong sense of belonging to yourself um, mm-hmm. like in knowing who you are and what you're called to do and the gifts that you've been given. Um, what about your ideas of, about that belonging to yourself and belonging to God? Do those, yeah. um, impact or affect your sense of loneliness? Yeah. You know, that's so good. I, I clearly, this is not my, uh, <laughs> Uh, area of expertise. I didn't know those, those, those layers, but that's, that's so good. Yeah. Because, um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I struggle with loneliness. You know what I mean? Like, and, and part of it is my personality. Um, I, I, I think both Aaron and I were both kind of mavericks in a sense, like we're okay being on our own and kind of trailblazing like that. That's okay. I, I don't, um, I don't feel like this continual sense of like, I wish I had more, more friends, like as if that was like a paralyzing um, feeling. So, and, and I think you're right. Part of it is because I'm very secure in my sense of belonging to God, my, my identity in Christ, that, that um, I am his and he has made me to be me and, uh, and, and feeling confident in that feeling um, proud of that. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I, I, I guess I'd never verbalize it in that way, but 
that I think those senses of belonging really do. Um, yeah. Sometimes that's all we have to cling to is that Christ is enough. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we, we friends come and go, but, but we know that we always have Christ and, and that is the most stable thing we can <laughs> trust in. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you shared a bit about um, the church that you and your husband have planted. Can you, well, and you shared a bit about your calling to plant the church. Is there more surrounding that calling and the preparation to move toward that, that you can share that might be helpful? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, you know, I mean, obviously part of the calling to church planting is Aaron's story. Um, his, his call, his, like his feeling of um, of God wanting him to to pursue full time vocational ministry during college, um, because he actually began at the Air Force Academy and was recruited to go there to play football. Um, but when he when he felt the sense of God calling him to vocational ministry, he transferred to Wheaton College, which is where I was at, and uh, that's where we met. And we got married after Wheaton, and we're both living. We we lived in downtown Chicago. He. Uh, did his MDiv at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I was working on my doctoral work at University of Illinois at Chicago in downtown. And um, when he finished his MDiv was in 2014 or 2013 was when we began really preparing to move down to Texas and, and church plant. I was still writing my dissertation, so I wasn't finished with my doctoral work, but I wasn't taking classes. And so I could be mobile. Um, and actually, when we first church planted, I was a German professor. So that's, that was like, it feels like a lifetime ago, but I began in academia. And my, so my PhD is in 18th century German literature. And I taught folklore, including feminist revisions of folklore, uh, which will always be a first love for me. But my, my focus in those courses was on storytelling and narrative justice. And this, I think, is so powerful because the idea is that people can be empowered by telling their stories. And, and not only that, but that people can achieve justice by, by sharing their stories, by giving voices to the voiceless, if you will. And, and this is particularly true for women, but, uh, but really for any marginalized group. And so now that I've left academia, I still use these ideas within the church and within ministry. And, and for me, I'm very passionate about helping a train and equip the church to seek out all kinds of justice, but including narrative justice uh, for our community. Yeah, I love that. And um, some of the things I've read that you've written on um, storytelling are fantastic. And um, since you brought that up, <laughs> I'll go on and ask you, um, have you given much thought to how our stories um, our own stories or the stories of others can affect our sense of loneliness or belonging. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for me, stories have always helped me see myself as part of a bigger whole. I've I've loved reading. I think ever since I was like a preschooler, I think you know you would probably have found me curled up in a corner somewhere with a book and. Um, I think especially in reading scripture, I'm reminded of people like me, of people who look like me, who've had the same experiences and passions as me. And um, reading stories, reading stories in scripture like that are so comforting because it's it's such a re reminder that God sees me, he knows me, and that my experience is not alone. Um, and I think part of the way I read scripture and just read stories like that is because of my own lens as an Indian American woman, because I don't see myself as an individual. I have very 
being communal, having the value of community is so important to me and, and looking for those interconnectedness between uh, a, a people. So when I read scripture, for example, read the stories of scripture, I, I see that. And I, I think that's why it helps me be able to see myself in that story. Yeah. Are you? Do you think you're able to see the stories of people around you, like and people you minister to um, more clearly because of your background and your interest in storytelling? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think for me, what I've I've learned along the way is one of the most powerful ways to show people love. And and, and by the way, I think ultimately in ministry and in life people just want to be loved. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just learned this, you know, super fascinating idea. And people are like, I just want to be loved, you know, so there's that. And I think the the best way to show people love is to show them that you care about their story, you know, and so when I'm getting to know somebody, or I'm having someone over to, to eat or have coffee with, you know, I'm constantly asking them, like, tell me your story, like, I want to know about you your journey, where you're, where you're at right now, your passions, your struggles. Um, and, and yeah, to, to invite people into each other's stories, I think is just one of the, the deepest way that we can build bonds of, of friendship. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Um, what types of loneliness um, do you see in the stories of people that um, are in your church or who you interact with? Um, in your work, in your community, or um, helping others be activists in their communities? Um, Are there some, um, do you see any like trends of loneliness? Or do you just see like unique stories of loneliness? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, first, I'd say that like within our church, we strive very, very hard to make people not feel lonely. So one of our one of our core values is family and being that we are a predominantly minority church, um largely largely Latino but also Asian American. Um like being being a family is very important to us. And so we throughout the week we eat together, we pray together, we sell like celebrate big and small things like anything that you could think of that could possibly be celebratory like we're gonna throw a party for it (laughs) and and that that goes for anybody in all walks of life right like whether this is a married person or a single person um someone getting a new job or or whatever it might be and so we we actively try to make sure that we are are living life with one another um I think with that being said, some people are just not as quick to lean into this or to seek this out. And I think largely or or a large demographic of this is introverts. And I say this with all personal understanding because I myself am an introvert. (laughs) And, you know, I... I have this tendency as well. There's this tendency to withdraw or to choose to be alone or um, even if the church is having a party to say, ah, I'd rather just, you know, go home. And I get that because I sometimes want to do that too. But then the result is that you, you end up feeling disconnected from the church, right? And so it's like this round and round and round we go. Um, and so for, for Aaron and I, it's so important for us to really know every single one of the people in our church, to, to understand their personalities and to identify who are who are the introverts in our church and and to actively seek them out and to, to make them know that they are so loved and so wanted. Um, and, and part of it is making sure that we we continually say, no, we want you here like you're like we would love 
you here. Like it, it's not going to be the same party with, without you. Oh. Um, but then at the same time, for, for people that still feel like, no, that would be very overwhelming or that would be too much um, for Aaron and I to make a note, okay, let, let's go out for coffee this week or let's let's hang out in some way so that they don't feel like they've been left out. So um, yeah, for us, I think we're always on, introverts are always on our radar. And um, yeah, that, that's a big one. That's a big demographic. Yeah. Um, I'm sure people listening will um, wish that they could go to your church. <laughs> um, I have one listener in particular who um, he has had just terrible experiences with churches and, um, you know, his loneliness mm-hmm. is heightened and deepened in church and through the ways yeah. church um, people in the churches that he's been to have um, dismissed him or um, ignored him. And it, it's mm-hmm. just heartbreaking to hear that, um, that that's part of people's experiences with church. Um, but it's also lovely and wonderful to hear how you and Aaron, um, want to love, you know, your congregants. So, yeah, I mean, we try, we're not perfect. And like, like any minister, we disappoint too, you know? Um, but I think that that is one of the beauties of, of a small church is uh, when when you're a smaller group, it's it's easier to be able to know everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned um, some uh, of the loneliness that you and Aaron feel um, as people being in ministry. Mm. Is there anything you'd like to add? Like, how does um, and maybe loneliness isn't the right word if you don't um, necessarily feel a sense of loneliness. Maybe it's more of, you know, an isolation or um, not necessarily understood by other people or things like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll, I, can, I can share two examples of, I think, ways that I currently experience loneliness. And um, I think the first is that people often misunderstand pastors and pastors' wives as being too busy. Now, granted, I, I know that people have also had bad experiences with pastors and pastors' wives being too busy. Um, so maybe that's part of the assumption, but I think people, um, people often assume that of, of us too. And, um, I think what's, what's hard about that is that, I I mean, sure, we have, we have our day jobs, right? Like I'm writing a book and I have, I have two kids, I have a baby, like I'm not just sitting at home doing (laughs) nothing. Um, but like if somebody extended an invitation to be like, Hey, could we grab coffee or Hey, do you want to hang out? I would. I would move my schedule around in a heartbeat to, 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 to do that. Um, and so it, it, it's hard when people assume, oh, they're just too busy. I'll, I just won't ever reach out because mm-hmm. what, what ends up feeling, what, what, what it ends up feeling like is that nobody wants to hang out with me. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's one of those weird dichotomies is that Aaron and I, we constantly open our home to people and we're constantly inviting people over for dinner or for, you know, like if someone's having a birthday party or a baby shower, I'll be like, Hey, can I throw you a party? <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I think probably within the five years that we've church planted, we've only been invited for dinner to people's house like two times, <laughs> you know. So it's there's there's a big discrepancy. Um, and uh, and and I, I I I mean like we like us all, I think we'd love to be invited uh, to 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 other people's homes and 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 meals. So so there's that. Um, 
And then, yeah, like you said, I think there's also loneliness and being misunderstood because I, I think what makes ministry so uniquely challenging is how personal it is, right? Like as a, as a pastor's wife, both me and my husband were constantly entering into other people's lives and, and, and just wading into their joys, their struggles, like wanting to be there for them, shepherding them, training them, being a shoulder to cry on, whatever. Um, but we're not perfect. And I, I have to, I have to stress this because um, we're better at some things than others. Like I, I have certain skill sets and there's certain things I'm really good at and things I'm not good at. And I think in ministry, everybody expects you to be what they want you to be mm. or for, for themselves, um, to be able to help them in the way they need help, um, or on their schedule or, uh, you know, fill in, fill in the blank. And I think oftentimes we're not able to meet those expectations specifically for for whatever reason um and uh oftentimes people will then carry that frustration or resentment against us and instead of talking to us about it they'll they'll leave the church right or or they'll they'll vent that frustration to other people in the church and so we only hear about it through gossip or something like that and and i think stuff like that is like I feel, yeah, stuff like that that makes me feel misunderstood, but also like, I don't, I don't think you see me. I don't think you see what, what, what I'm good at. (laughs) And, and and that, and you don't see my love for you. And I'm, I'm willing to, to do what it takes to help you, but, but I'm I'm still, I'm still perfect, uh, imperfect, and I'm still going to fail. And I wish people would also give more grace to their pastors and pastors' wives. Yeah. So when you have that sense of misunderstanding or like when that happens, how do you respond? Um, <laughs> what, what does that look like for you personally or with you and Aaron? Or, um, yeah. I know. I'm laughing because I'm like, sometimes we just cry. It's like I said, it's so personal. It's, it's so heartbreaking. It's, it's like um, when we see every person in our church, like their family, you know what I mean? So it's like when you have these rifts, um, you just feel it so personally. But I think one, so two things that Aaron and I, we, we, we try to do, because if, if we if we just respond in anger and frustration, the relationship is going to be severed. That person or family is going to leave the church and that's going to be the end of it, right? And so like, we're like, that's not our goal. <laughs> like We don't want that. And so one of the first things we try to do is to either give the person the benefit of the doubt or to to try to see why they're hurting, right? Like when people lash out and they're they're venting at you, it's 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 so natural to want to defend yourself and be like, hold on, you you have this all wrong. Um, but for me to like try to look past the actual words that they're saying and try to like see the hurt behind it, like what is the hurt that they're trying to express and to speak speak into that as opposed to defending myself. So there's that, and. I, if 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 it's a situation where the person is gossiping or or threatening to leave the church or whatever, but they haven't actually come talk to us, our our response is like, can can we talk? <laughs> can, can we meet up for coffee? Or can you come over? Can like let's not not through a text message, not through email, but like face to face. We want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to talk this through. And so those are two things that we try to do particularly when it comes to grievances in the church, people feeling disappointed. Um, and then when there's room, when it would, when, when it would be appropriate, we, we, we do try to share people, Hey, this is where we were coming from. And this, you know, we weren't trying to offend or we, it wasn't that we weren't, we weren't caring for you, but this is, this is the reason why we did this. Or, you know, we try to sh- uh, share with them our work week, right? Like, so you needed help, but so did 10 other people. 
and we, we were trying to like, you know, here was our schedule, just so you understand, we weren't trying to blow you off or something like that. So yeah, yeah, but a lot of humility, a lot of grace, and a lot of prayer. Yeah, yeah. Do you and Aaron have any kind of support um, or community with other pastors and pastors' wives? Yeah, yes. Um, that was something that we sought out right away when we when we began, we church planted in 2014 because um, yeah, we just knew that, and and we're also oddly because of the nature of our church, even though we're in our 30s, like most of the people in our church are our age and younger. Um, so there aren't even many people there. I mean, there are more now, but back in 2014, there wasn't anyone else in our stage of life either. So, um, but being able to find friends in ministry who can just get you, like, you don't have to explain yourself. (laughs) Like you don't have to try to like set this up and justify why you did something. Like they're like, "I, I get it. We've been there. I think that's so key. And so, yeah, um, Aaron is part of this, like, network of East Austin pastors, specifically of other church planting pastors, and they meet uh, once a month. But we also make it a point to eat meals with the other um, you know, pastors and their families and just just to talk and, 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 and find time to pray together. Um, yeah, that that is huge because sometimes we'll go through something in our church and be like, that was crazy. And then we talk to another pastor and they're like, yeah, we've gone through that too. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe this is just you know, what life looks like in ministry. And sometimes that alone is encouraging. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like a really healthy um, way to be in ministry. Um, And I imagine if there are pastors or other Christian leaders who are serving in some way who don't have that kind of camaraderie, um, Mm. like I can imagine that would be really hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cause you start to like get lost in your own head and start to think like, you know, am I like, is this all just the exception? Like, am I the only one going through this? And yeah, you you can go crazy thinking those things. Yeah. Um, I love how you said earlier that you and Aaron try really hard, um, to make sure people in your church don't feel lonely, um, at Mm. least at church. Um, (laughs) are there, are there other ways, um, I mean, and you mentioned celebrating, which I think celebration is a huge, um, you know, gift and practice that can help people not feel so alone and just feel loved. Um, mm. Do you know of other ways that people, um, like people in other churches or other ministers, um, things that have worked for you with regard to helping your congregants not feel so lonely um, that you can share? Mm. Yeah, I think um when it when it comes to well, is your question specifically for congregants or for ministry leaders? For how people in ministry, whether they're pastors or in other roles, practices and ways they can be intentional to um, help the people that they're ministering to not feel so lonely. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, well, and so I th- well, and with that, I'm going to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> Also, just a general sense of well-being um, and maybe mm. mental health issues. Like it seems like churches yeah. and pastors don't always want to admit that people even struggle with loneliness or that they're not yeah. necessarily well in other ways. So, yeah, that's I guess that's where that question Definitely. is coming yeah. from. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think I think the worst thing um, 
either party could do for the other person is just to like guess. <laughs> so I think what's what's so important for ministry leaders and their congregants to be in constant conversation with each other. There has to be this open dialogue going on between the pastor and, or pastor's wife and his um, and his and his people hearing. And it has to be two sided um, hearing each other's hopes and each other's pains, because I think in many ways uh, it's like any other relationship. Right. Like we have to sit down, share how we're feeling, share what we both need and also see how we can help the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I think, is why it's so important for pastors and, and elders together to know and regularly meet with with all of the people in their in their church. And that's something that um, we do in our church is that we, we've got to the point when we first started out in 2014, Aaron and I could individually meet with every single person in our church because um, we were about, you know, 30 people. But now we're about 100 people and it, that would be impossible to do on a, on a monthly basis. And so um, between Aaron and, and, and me and our three elders and their wives, um, we've we've sort of like kind of divvied up all the people in our church, north, south, east, west. It's just purely geographical, you know. Yeah, so I I think it's really important that the pastors and elders, the ministry leaders of a church, meet monthly, meet regularly with every single one of their um, church members so that they can, they can ask those questions. How are you doing? You know, how are you doing? And to have it um, holistically, right? How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing mentally, emotionally, physically? Um, so that 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 conversation is ongoing with the people of their church. I, I think things like a church town hall or a church meeting where the church collectively is talking about this can also be super uh, helpful. Uh, but 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 once again, your, your your quieter members, your introverts, might not speak up in those things. And so I think one on ones is also where you're going to hear every voice, and that's that's equally important. Um, and and like I said, this conversation should be too two-sided, right? So I think it's just as important in one-on-ones for members of the church to ask how their pastors are doing. And in fact, I'd, I'd really want to stress that, that, um, you know, make make your pastor and your ministry leaders feel loved. I, I think Aaron and I, we sometimes joke about how, like, we we learn about the love of our church at Christmas time when we get Christmas cards, and we hear their criticism January through November. <laughs> and so, you know, I, and this is often the case, right, that there are people in your church that love you, love what you're doing, but they're, they're, the people that are going to speak up are the ones who have something to criticize. And so if you are loving something that your pastor or ministry leader is doing, let them know, you know, encourage them in that. Say, I see you. Um, thank you for doing this because um, because that even just that kind of little encouragement it goes a long way. So, um, yeah, so two-sided conversations I think are huge. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's helpful for me to hear, and I know it will be helpful for others to hear, too. Um, mm. Are there any other things about loneliness and belonging that you would like to share that we haven't touched on yet? Um, yeah, I think I, th- I think one thing is that for, for Aaron and I, um, we really believe that the health of a ministry is reflected in the health of a marriage. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously this is this this will look different for a ministry leader that's single. Um, I'm, I'm so I'm not trying to put some sort of blanket statement on this across the board, but just purely for my for me and 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 Aaron, um, we have always made sure from from so ever since we were dating, we've been doing ministry together, and so kind of really from day one, we have made sure to always prioritize 
um, our faith in God and our, our relationship to each other. Because when it comes to ministry, there's always something going on. There's always some need. And in a place like East Austin, um, not to say that the needs are greater or, or bigger than, say, uh, the suburbs or somewhere else. But, I mean, we're dealing with people who are about to get kicked out of their apartment, people who are on the verge of being sent to prison or undocumented or, 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 or children that are starving or, I mean, just, you know, kind of crazy situations and um, that, that, that require a lot of us emotionally, physically, spiritually. And for us to be able to carve out what we call sacred space, that's like this, like there's always going to be somebody who needs us, but this time we're, we're going to just turn off our phones or whatever and spend time together. And sometimes it's um, doing something fun or reading, reading like a fun book together um, or playing a game or cooking or, 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 or whatnot. Uh, but we we also prioritize reading the Bible together daily and praying together daily um, because if if we are not okay, <laughs> like our ministry is just going to fall apart. And so I think for for people that are married, pastors and pastors' wives, um, the health of their marriage is so important. And and oftentimes people in ministry forsake that, right? Mm, um, yeah. They forsake their families um, for ministry and and. It should that should never be the case. Wow! Thank you for um for bringing that up, and um I'm sh- I know people struggle with that um all across the board, re- regardless of what our vocations are. But I imagine as people in ministry and with your community um, activism, like it can get intense. So yeah. so the need for that sacred space is definitely felt (laughs) and i'm glad that y'all make make room for that um that brings up another question for me um what about your family as a whole and like how you care for your family in the midst of all of these demands from your ministry Mm. um do you have um like any rhythms or habits or traditions that y'all have established that have helped you um you know kind of be um, attentive to your family life? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, we, yeah, we try as best as we can to say like when we're on, we're on. And when we're off, we're off. Like we, we work hard and then, and then play hard. Um, Because, you know, and also like our kids, like they're pastors, kids and like all the stuff that comes with that. And so it's very important to me that they feel like they can just be normal kids (laughs) and have fun (laughs) and just do normal family fun stuff together and so um for so for my oldest he's in preschool and he goes to school part-time when he's in school and baby Ava's taking a nap this is this is when I go hard with church work with writing with you know fill in the blank in the afternoons when he's at home and and baby Ava's awake I am I'm a stay-at-home mom like I'm just I'm there for them we're playing um I'm Indian, so we do homeschool. <laughs> you know, like that's also part of the rhythm. But my kids, I will say, my kids love it. And if you talk to any Indian in America, they go to school and then their parents homeschool them on the side. And it's just, that's like totally normal. And it's also very like kind of fun. So <laughs> my kids are just like that too. So 
like we, the afternoons are just, they're just bonding with us together, playing, reading, um, kicking the soccer ball outside. And then Saturdays are a little up in the air because there's always church stuff going on. Um, but because of that, Aaron takes Mondays off. And so Mondays is also like just a big family day. And that's when we go to the playground or we maybe do some bigger family trip together to just, um, to just show our kids that they're, they haven't been sacrificed on the altar of ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, um, I mean, I love seeing how um, people in ministry like include their kids in their ministry with regards to like being a part of the community, the larger community and, um, Definitely. you know, witnessing people loving each other and people celebrating. Um, so I think it's great that, that your kids, have that, you know, also yeah. as part of their idea of what it means to be a part of a family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two, two weeks ago was both uh, MLK Day and then also like the, the National Pro-Life Day. And so that just that week alone, we participated in two different marches in our mm-hmm. city and of course brought our kids. And so after that, uh, our son Akash was like, asking people he's like I went to two marches this week how many marches did you go to <laughs> you know um but we so another thing we do is like we keep water bottles in the car um because there's a lot of homeless people in Austin and whenever we can if we're at a stoplight or stop sign and and there's a homeless person there we'll try to give them a water bottle or some money or some food like whatever we have and so um, that's also on my son's radar is when he sees someone, he's like, Hey, do we have a water bottle to give them? And so I think just that heart of, of, of wanting to care for people, like that's also being cultivated by inviting him into, um, our ministry as well. Yeah. I love it's that. exciting to see that. Yeah. Um, okay. So one, well, I asked two questions at the end of every podcast episode with guests. Mm. Um, the first one is what is one of your earliest memories of belonging? Yeah. So I, I was thinking of this from a, from a cultural perspective because I, when I was really young, some of my first memories of reading outside of the Bible was Indian folklore and I still have all of these books from my childhood today. And for me, these play such an influential role in my life because it was the first time that I saw pictures of women who looked like me and dressed like me. And um, I just, I loved reading all the pages over and over again because I grew up in a very white Scandinavian community where our family was the only minorities in the entire town and the entire school, just anywhere we went. There was no other brown skinned person except for me. And my yeah. sister and my mom. And so these, these little books of Indian folklore were just, I, I, you know, I love them. I treasure them. And so I think that probably also played a huge role in, in my love for folklore today. Yeah. But I, I remember looking at those pictures and being like, okay, I am like them. Like there are, there are women out there like me. And that was, that was huge. Yeah. I love that. And I do, I also love how, that um kind of set you toward your studies and you know the things that you um or some of the things that you've been in, continued to be interested in yeah um throughout the years it's cool yeah um and also the other question i ask is what are three things that you are grateful for today yeah um it's it's all it's all people so my my husband um he's he's such a rock for me and also my biggest supporter you know being a writer is is such a vulnerable thing because you're like 
putting your heart and your story out there. And he is always just like, you know, I love it. This is awesome. This is what God made you to be. And so I'm grateful for his encouragement. Um, I'm also grateful for my kids. They teach me new stuff every day, <laughs> whether it's learning how to be humble uh, or flexible, but um, just also seeing seeing God through their eyes and uh, seeing faith through their eyes is they're yeah they're very sweet kids. And the last thing is that I'm grateful for making new friends on social media. And I know that might sound odd, but um, I think especially for people like me and 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 others who might feel like where you're at on the ground, like you're not connecting with other people like you're, or there's just, there aren't like-minded people like you. Um, I have found that through social media, I have made friends across the country that share the same passions, share the same heartbeats um, that, that get me and can encourage me even if from afar. And so, um, yeah, that, especially this past year, that has been a huge blessing that I'm grateful for. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I, I have, I feel like every time I have a guest, after we hit stop, that's one of the things we talk about is like this social media thing. And what do you think about social media? What do you think about it? And um, yeah. I definitely want to do an episode on like the idea of loneliness and social media. Um, mm. And um, I have some ideas about how I'll do that. And some of the research that I've read um, says that social media can make you feel lonelier or it can make you feel less lonely. So mm. it just depends on who the person is, how you're using yeah. it, um, what your oh. life looks like away <laughs> from the screen and away from the keyboard. And um, I, yeah, I tend to, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily like it when people have rules for social media that they think everyone needs to follow. Totally. Um, <laughs> that kind of turns me off just, just like works. in any area, <laughs> let alone with social media. Um, <laughs> because it's like, it's simplifying something that's more complex. Um, yes. So anyway, I love that you mentioned that. And um, I want to think about a way to discuss that um, with bringing in more voices and, mm -hmm. and maybe it's like a series of mini episodes or something. Yeah. I don't know how I'll do you that. Do a but, panel or something. Or a panel. Like that. Yeah. yeah. A Zoom, a Zoom, a Zoom call. Panel. <laughs> That'd be okay. awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for talking to me. I really appreciate your insights on what it's like to, to be in ministry and to serve others um, and what um, mm, that looks yeah. like. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you, Charlotte. Thanks for listening to Hope for the Lonely. Learn more about my writing and work at charlottedonlin.com.